Lewis, founder and CEO of the Robin Report, which, by the way, as I've said before, is much more than a daily report, okay? It really is a knowledge platform uh, from which we communicate, you know, thought leadership on various strategic topics uh, through the reports, yes, but also these podcasts as well as webinars and hopefully live events starting in the fall of this year. So along with our chief strategist, Shelly Cohan, who's also a professor at FIT and Syracuse University, we welcome you to our weekly podcast, which is coming from, quote unquote, the nest, little humor there, which is the Robin Report Recording Studio. So the topic uh, today is marketplace madness the next arena for retailers and brands. This online virtual mall of boundless product assortments and limitless brands actually gives uh, Endless Isle a whole new meaning. Right, Shelley? That's right, Robin. And actually one of the things that we keep talking about and had been for the past year is this whole issue with inventory management and really trying to re reduce the inventory investments that retailers have to make. So the online marketplace is another way for retailers and even brands to do just that, reduce the inventory financial holdings. So let's first provide just a little bit of framework for our listeners. An online marketplace, which has been likened to brick and mortar mall, is an e-com site where multiple third-party sellers list their products. Two of the more popular types of marketplaces are C2C, which is consumer to consumer. So if you think of eBay, that would be an example of that. Or B2C, like Amazon, you know, business uh, to consumer. So after the shopper makes the purchase on the site, then the seller sends the product to the customer. You know, clearly the benefits are the marketplace host offers a structured and a process for e-com transaction or transacting online, which can be really super relevant for smaller niche brands. It gives immediate access to a very large, typically, and wide consumer base who are already shopping on the site. And of course, there's opportunities for branding, advertising, you know, just getting your brand name out there, exposure to the brand. So if you take Amazon as one of the largest marketplaces with over 6.2 million sellers, and in Q1 of this year, 55% of paid units sold were by third-party sellers. This is the highest it's ever been. So a seller has immediate access to millions of customers. You know, it, it, it's really a phenomenal thing that's going on here. And I like your description uh, of, of, of these likening these marketplaces to brick and mortar malls. And when, when you think about it, it really is. And right. so, so let's, let's put Amazon aside for a second and talk about these other marketplaces that are also surfacing. Yeah, I mean, Amazon has led the way along with Chinese Alibaba in terms of the business model. Typically, you know, Bezos as usual is always out in front. But other players are, are really emerging in the marketplace uh, space, you know, like Walmart.com, which 
by the way, brings in over 127 million unique visitors each month. You know, then there's Target, uh, Kroger, Chewy, Costco, Wayfair, and you know, you can go on and on. And some of the newer ones include um, Express, Best Buy, Land's Inn, Urban Outfitters, and Stock X. And speaking of Stock X, <laughs> very interesting thing happened. But by the way, they sell sneakers, um, streetwear, and other products, but really derived uh, their fame from the, the sneaker resell market. Anyway, I learned something very interesting last year when we had Dick Johnson, the CEO of Foot Locker, in uh, one of our webinar uh, series. And I asked him uh, about the impact of StockX for the Foot Locker business. I thought it was going to be negative, but his answer surprised me at first. But then when I thought about it, it made total sense. He said that he actually had no issue with StockX and did not think StockX took away from his business. And then he said he, he feels actually it adds to Foot Locker's business by keeping the entire market highly engaged in the sneaker market. That, that's right, Robin. Dick Johnson did say that StockX actually created this cult-like following where sneakerheads would not, not only buy and resell secondhand sneakers, but then they would purchase new products, you know, from Foot Locker and other places, which would then end up on StockX. So as a resale item. So the cycle really works for the sneaker community. Yeah, it does. And so, you know, there are also global marketplaces. Uh, you know, we mentioned, you mentioned Alibaba. There's uh, Newegg, uh, which has 40 million customers in 20 countries, specializing in uh, electronics. And then, you know, there's Etsy, uh, Rakuten, Japan's Amazon, Hows, H-O-U-Z-Z, -Z, and more. I don't know if I'm pronouncing some of these correctly. But then you've also got Google, Target, Instacart, and Kroger, were also identified as emerging uh, marketplaces. And by the way, a couple of surprises, at least to me, Macy's is considering a marketplace model. Then there's Saks Fifth Avenue, uh, just announced its online marketplace, modeling after its parent, uh, Hudson Bay. So, you know, there you go. Well, wait, Robin, I have to, I have to interject here for a second. So Hudson Spain Marketplace has a lot of different categories, but honestly, it feels more like a hodgepodge of products, pet supplies, electronics, computers, books, stationery, resale items, sports equipment, home design, uh, heating and cooling, on and on and on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> it's true. And so, but I think that marketplaces will only work if the vendors and products being offered align with the target market random partners across categories that are not in sync with the brand and its customers are doomed to fail. The Bay.com has so many products on its site. It's like the paradox of choice. I just want to get off the site. Well, you know, there's a nuance here, Shelly. Uh, you know, say you really make a strong opinion that they are doomed to fail. Okay. But, but here's the nuance. Um, I mean, how do you square that, really strong opinion 
with what Amazon's marketplace contains. Think about it. You talk about a hodgepodge. I mean, it's been called the everything store, right? That's so, true. Yeah. So, so what is their brand positioning? And in fact, your point about allowing any brand as a third party on, let's say, Urban Outfitters marketplace that do not align with its image, its positioning, and its consumer target. Uh, let's say they allow Chewy, for example. They allow Chewy in and a bunch of other brands that don't align with their urban brands. Will it dilute the brand uh, to eventual failure? Uh, I don't know. I, in that case, I would tend to agree with you because Urban Outfitters was a brand that was created before there were ever third party marketplaces. And so they would need, I believe, the consumer views Urban Outfitters in, in the apparel space. Okay. So anything they would let on their space should not be dog food. Okay, so in those cases, I would agree with you. And then you go back to Amazon, and there may be a reverse dilution there. For example, you know, this luxury designer brands have been reluctant to do business in Amazon's marketplace because they are worried about Amazon diluting their brands. So I think it's really a conundrum. A conundrum. That's so true, Robin. Yeah, yeah. So I think the distinction might be that if a marketplace is initially branded like the brand Amazon, okay, when it was initially uh, established, that brand, well, it started off selling books, okay, but, but it wasn't tied to a specific product category in the eyes of the consumer. It was not previously a brand like Urban. Then, Amazon and Alibaba and others might be accepted as an everything store. Okay, they are. Maybe with some exceptions like the luxury pushback uh, thing that I mentioned. But, you know, final thing here, and I'll get off my foghorn or whatever you want to call it. But I do, I do agree. <clears throat> if you have an Urban or a Best Buy or a Saks, for example, and others who, if they go completely off the rail, inviting anything and everything that do not align with their DNA and core consumer, I do think eventually you'll, you'll be right. It will dilute the host brand, maybe to the point of extinction, yeah. And, and by the way, Urban and the others, think of this, they would not put such a hodgepodge in their brick and mortar stores for the same reason. That's I mean, true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, say I'm shopping in a sack store and there's... <laughs> dog food on one side of the aisle and I don't know automobile batteries on the other I I don't think so anyway it's a nuanced discussion it definitely is I, I also think when you look at that model there's so many opportunities in a marketplace setting for things to go wrong from vendor selection to product assortment logistics fulfillment customer service not to mention not to mention the issues with reverse logistics yeah Customer returns comes to mind for that one. So managing a marketplace does require a bit of process to work with all the marketplace vendors. Yeah, it is complicated. You're right. Um, 
Yeah, and, and kind of expanding on the hodgepodge comment, uh, retailers do need to be careful not to turn an abundance of marketplaces into a sea of sameness and an oversaturation of products, uh, like the malls of the 90s. Uh, many have likened the growth of, of online marketplaces as the malls of the future. God, I hope not. Well, other considerations, of course, are inventory management, pricing across multiple vendors. I think Walmart has over 85,000 uh, vendors. Um, wow. And keep, keep in mind the profit in a marketplace model for vendors is less than selling wholesale. So in other words, vendors will make more money selling wholesale in the traditional model than they will in a marketplace. So typically brands on a marketplace will pay some type of initial fee to the host marketplace, and then there'll be some type of revenue sharing agreement uh, between the two. Correct, correct. And by the way, um, there's also the risk, you know, the customer having found a brand they love in the marketplace that isn't theirs, uh, and then loving that brand so much, going directly to the brand site the next time they go shopping which means they leave the marketplace. So that's another consideration. Right. Um, although uh, the marketplace does provide for multiple vendors and brands to showcase products, making, uh, making that virtual shopping trip more convenient. And, and to that point, and I think you remember this, my interview with uh, Pete Nordstrom during um, our forum with Syracuse. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's right. and, yeah. It was a great interview. Anyway, I'll paraphrase here a little bit. He said, you know, Rob, he said, we know uh, the consumers who love us. And we know they also love other retailers and brands. So think about it. It makes complete sense for us to try to bring those other brands and even retailers who they love into our stores. Think about it. If they find us convenient and carrying all the brands they love, they will love us even more. I mean, that has incredible, that's an incredible picture into how the world's changing. That's a powerful statement too. Yeah, I know. So anyway, Shelly, as I've said before, therefore both physical and digital marketplace, marketplaces with even competitors competing on the same platform, I believe, I really believe it's the future. Well, that's a great macro view of this phenomenon. And back to the model for a second, you know, service is key, including fulfillment standards, return policies, consistency in policies, pricings. And for shoppers, sometimes marketplaces can be confusing, if, especially if they're not sure who they're ordering from or what to do if problems arise. So transparency is really key from that yeah. aspect as well. Yeah, yeah. It's a complex relationship. You're right. And uh, also retailers have to have balance between, you know, having product from their own inventory that they bought at the wholesale price from the vendor or brand. They have to balance, uh, balance with some products from their digital marketplace. Like, you know, a key component is working with the vendors and not blindsiding them uh, with new marketplace deals that, that may be in competition with an existing vendors that the retailer supports. It gets very complicated. 
Yeah, we should also mention that mark marketplaces not only allow for the selling of products, but also there's you know lots of exposure advertising opportunities and brand exposure. So sellers or vendors should make sure that they use both avenues to gain you know more exposure to their products or brands. Wow, you know this once again shows that this was great stuff, and um, on a rapidly growing everything everywhere distribution model you know a digital mall truly an endless aisle and but with the one caveat uh which you really touched on when you said if they don't align themselves with similar uh dnas and similar consumers if it's a hodgepodge and it really gets out of hand i do agree with you it will fail but I believe that it's just an emerging, uh, you know, process and model that I believe uh, the the complications will be worked through, and uh, and those who do it right are going to be tremendously successful. Anyway, I'd like to close by citing part of an interview I had with Gary Friedman, which I think you remember, the CEO of RH. Actually, of uh, uh, it, it actually was a part of that same forum interview that, that I had with Pete, uh, Pete Nordstrom. Uh, Gary play, pays close attention to marketplaces uh, and particularly competitors such as Wayfair, which operates on the uh, dropship model. And Gary's very critical. He says, and this is his opinion, he says it's a low capital model and should be set up for high returns. In other words, um, volume if you if you if you can get the earnings model to work right but no one ever really thought about what's the inherent weakness of that model as marketplaces grow their offerings a lot of low-level people and are approving a lot of new vendors and the amount of out of stocks and what you can buy there on where wayfair is unbelievable. And they'll take anybody in, by the way. It's not a big approval process. If you want to go sell something on Wayfair, so actually you don't get to that many vendors that quickly if you have really high standards about who you will allow to sell on your platform. So it goes all the way back to that point we were just talking about. You've got to be very selective. You've got to you've got to align with 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 people uh, in, that, that represent the same kinds of level of business and also the same consumer bases. So Gary ended up by saying, we operate on the wholesale cost model, meaning we pay our partners the wholesale cost of their items. And we set the retail price. And then he added, if you needed your house furnished next week, we could pull it off if you live in a major market. So that's a big opportunity for us. Anyway, that was a very smart view, Shelley, on the marketplace model from a very smart and kind of a big character CEO. <laughs> and, and, and a note to our audience, stay tuned guys, because marketplaces, which I also call platforms, are the future.
And before we end our podcast, I do have some data that truly supports the idea, Robin, that marketplace is the platform of the future. So Sensor Tower, which provides competitive insights on the mobile economy, so mobile device economy, shared a recent study with me. Listen to some of these numbers. The top 25 marketplace apps on mobile devices gained 43 million downloads just in Q1 of this year. Gotta be kidding. Wow. It's amazing. And the marketplace apps continue to hold a sizable share among the top shopping apps, accounting for 33% of all shopping apps were marketplace apps. And a couple other uh, key things, Etsy saw the highest growth year over year and they recently crossed over 2.2 million downloads in Q1, which surpassed last Q1 for them in 2020 by a million. So, and I should also note that Etsy did have the highest rating in terms of marketplace apps at 4.9 out of five. And then meanwhile, the other kind of marketplace that's really going wild is resale marketplace apps. So virtual thrift stores, which accounted for 36% of downloads in Q1. And here's what I anticipate. I anticipate that more retailers will continue to build the resale markets, their own resale markets within their own marketplaces. So clearly the whole point of this is the customer interest is high and engaging. And it's certainly something to think about if your brand has not considered a marketplace model. You know, amen, Shelley. What do I say? This is the distribution century, meaning distribution on endless aisles, platforms, marketplaces, and it's just going to grow. That's right. For our listeners, you can find more of our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Buzzsprout, and therobinreport.com. And please follow us on social media, link in with us, follow us on Twitter for the latest thoughts about the industry. And finally, I once again urge uh, anybody in the audience who uh, has a topic that they really would like to, like us to dig deeply into and, and, and put in one of our podcasts, please uh, email me, robin at therobinreport.com. Thanks again for joining us.